0: When Jacob fled from the Promised Land because his brother wanted to kill him and he was headed to uh, Uncle Laban, he didn't think he would be there very long, uh, but things haven't gone the way that he's planned. He's now been serving uh, his uncle for over 14 years, and that service is ultimately because of the wives that he got. Remember, he served seven years. It was like a few days for Rachel, but he gets the swap and gets Leah instead, and he says, well, you know what? Serve me for seven more, Uh, and you're going to have Rachel as well. And in that time, you know, he's had 11 sons through four women. He's had one daughter, Uh, but now as we're going to come to uh, the end of chapter 30 and uh, all of chapter 31 tonight, we're going to see that God is preparing Jacob to go back to the promised land. So his time is now going to be completed here in Haran. God's been doing a lot of work in Jacob, teaching him a lot of lessons through the school of hard knocks, With Laban the teacher. Um, But as we go through this chapter, there's a lot that goes on between Jacob and Laban. But the thing that I really want us to focus on, and I think, you know, whenever you're studying the Bible, you know, the thing that we should always be looking to first and foremost is, you know, what is it that we're taught about God? What is God doing in the midst of this? And so there are three main things that God does for Jacob and his family to get them back to the promised land. First, we're going to see that God prepares. Jacob to leave Haran and go back to the promised land. Second, we're going to see God provides for him, provides for his family for this journey. And third, and most importantly in this uh, chapter that we're going to see here, God protects Jacob and his family from Laban, uh, who doesn't want them to go, and who has the capacity to stop them from leaving. Now, we ended last week with God doing something very compassionate to Rachel who, you know, had all these envy and jealousy issues and we saw this baby competition that was going on between her and her sister and the problem for her was she couldn't have any because she was barren and so she has a couple through her maid. Uh, but then at the end we finally see God opens her womb and she has her first child, and she names him Joseph. And that's what we're going to pick up tonight. Now that Joseph is born, you know, Jacob, now that's his 11th son, but it's his first child through the woman that he loves, through his wife that he actually wanted to marry. The rest are through the the wife that he was given and the two maids. And so now he finally has the son that he wants, and we're going to see that God is going to start working in him to prepare him to depart from Haran. So Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 25, it says this And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I've served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said to him, Name your wages, and I will give it. So after the birth of Joseph, now we see Jacob is within him, this desire to go back to the promised land. He wants to do that. And we're not specifically told here that God had given him this desire, but as we Through the remainder of this chapter in the chapter 31, I think it's clear that God is the one working in this, that God is the one preparing this move because God is going to specifically say, time to go. But I think here, God's moving with just the desire. All of a sudden, now, you know, it's been a little over 14 years in Haran, and now Jacob's having this desire to get back to. The promised land. Uh, And so the first thing I want you to note here about how God prepares Jacob to go to the promised land is just giving him this desire. And we're going to see as we look at how God prepares us so often for things, it starts with that. You just kind of get this desire for something and it might be many years out before it actually comes to fruition and you actually move or you actually do what God's calling you to do. But it starts oftentimes with just there's something within you that desires something. You're maybe not so sure why, but then the Lord kind of reveals that. So he has this desire to get back home, to go back to the promised land. And, you know, he takes action. He comes to Laban. And he asks Laban, he says, you know what, hey, I want you to give me permission, basically, to leave. Not just me, but more importantly, that you would allow your daughters, my wives, uh, and, you know, all the grandkids and everybody just, just to go. And so he says, give me my wives, my children from whom I've served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. Well, Laban, he doesn't want Jacob to leave, and notice why he doesn't want him to leave. Please stay if I found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, Laban's a granddad. You know, he's there, and you would think for most grandpas, it'd be like, Oh, no, don't go. I don't want my daughters to go. I don't want my 12 grandchildren, 11 grandsons, one granddaughter to go. You know, that's not his motivation. You can see that's normal. You know, a grandparent wanting the grandkids and the children to stay near him. That's not why he says, I want you to stay. Notice his reason is very selfish. It's really all about him. He realizes, hey, God has been blessing me because you were here serving me. So I don't want you to go because I don't want to stop that blessing. You know, and the blessing that he's more specifically referring to is that his livestock have grown. You know, when Jacob first came in, Laban didn't have much. But God has blessed Jacob, and now the flock of Laban that Jacob has been shepherding has grown greatly. And and Laban's recognized this. Hey, you've been blessed, and because you've been blessed, I've been blessed because it's all my stuff. Uh, and so he doesn't want him to leave because he doesn't want to lose the blessing. And so he says, "You know what? Name your wages, and I'll give it. You, you name the price. You know what is it going to take for me to keep you here, and so that you don't leave." And so now Jacob is going to name the wage that it's going to take to keep him there, verse 29. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me? For what have you had before I came was little, and it increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall, give me, you shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. Jacob starts here bringing up an important problem that he personally had. And that's the reality that I've been serving you for over 14 years. I've been shepherding your flock. The flock has been blessed and grown immensely because of what God has done. But here's the dilemma. It's all yours. All these animals are yours when am I going to get to a point when I get to start providing for my own family? I've been serving you for all this time, but yet I don't have anything to show for for my family and for their future. And, you know, what I have hasn't, you know, it's just I'm accumulating wealth for you, but I'm not accumulating anything for me. And so he brings up this reality. Uh, and so he says, you know, here's what I want you to do for me. This is the thing that I want. So Laban says, what shall I give you? He says, you're not going to give me anything except I want you to do this. Every speckled and spotted sheep, speckled and spotted goat that's in your flock, I will take those and those will be mine. And all the pure colored goats and sheep, they're going to stay as yours. And this is going to make it clear who's mine and who's yours? Now, Jacob had another reason for doing this because we're going to see later on that he tells his wives Laban has changed his wages ten times. So Laban keeps, you know, doing what Laban does and manipulating things. So be saying, hey, it's going to be real clear now whose flock is whose. Mine's going to be the speckled and spotted, yours is going to be the pure color. We'll keep them separate and everybody will be able to know which is which. Now, something important to understand is the most commonly born sheep and goats are pure pure colored. Uh, It's actually less common for them to be speckled and to be spotted. And so Jacob is saying, hey, I'll take the ones that are less common. It won't be very much of the flock. You know, the percentage will be a lot smaller. You keep the one that's the majority, that's the pure color, and that'll be my wage. And every time a speckled and spotted goat or sheep is born, I'll get it. And all the ones that are pure colored, you'll get it. And I'll continue to shepherd your flock, and you'll continue to be blessed. And so this is the proposal that he gives to Laban. uh, And let's see what Laban thinks of this idea, verse 34. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into his hand of his son, then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban likes the idea. He likes the idea mainly because it's favorable to him. And we've seen this with Laban the whole time. He's always looking and scheming to get something. He's thinking, hey, this is a good plan. You know, the pure colored ones are the higher statistical probability. So my flock's going to increase greatly where, you know, Jacob's is going to slowly grow because the speckled and spotted aren't that common. So he's thinking, yeah, this is a good plan. I'll still be blessed. You'll still stay here. Take care of my sheep and my goats. And so he agrees to it, and they separate the speckled and spotted, and they put a 3 days journey between them so there is no, you know, you know everybody knows whose is whose. Well, now we're going to see that Jacob does something very interesting to change the statistical probability of his flocks increasing, which are the speckled and spotted ones. So let's see what he does. Verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white stripes in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flock face toward the streak and all the brown in the flock of Laban but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock and the gutters, so they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he didn't put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys." So Jacob does something very interesting here. He's got the speckled and the spotted sheep and goats, and he takes these trees and just, you know, the branches of it, and he starts cutting away bark so that, you know, the tree is now not all solid. It's, you know, the white underneath is coming out, so it's a speckled and spotted-looking branch. And he takes these branches where the animals are coming to drink, and he puts them there. Uh, and that's the place where they conceive as well. And so they're looking at these things when this is happening, and it's producing speckled and spotted sheep and goats much more than it statistically would. But he goes a step farther. Once he sees this is working, he takes the stronger animals and he only does it with them so that they produce speckled and spotted and the weaker animals he doesn't put that in front of them because he wants them to produce solid colors because he wants Laban to have the weak ones and he wants himself to have the strong ones and it's going great his he's growing his flock is increasing and you think man this is quite an ingenious plan where in the world did Jacob come up with something like this Uh, that would work this way well we're told um, in chapter 31 verses 10 through 12 this and it happened at that time when the flocks conceived he's telling his wives about what the Lord did that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked speckled and gray spotted then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying Jacob and I said here I am And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap upon the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So it seems from these verses that God's the one that revealed to Jacob this plan of like, yes, you, you, you've made this agreement with Laban. You're going to take the less statistical probability of growth with these speckled and spotted sheep and goats. But God says, you know what? No, I'm going to do something for you, Jacob. I want you to you know take these branches and I want you to cut the white and make them speckled and spotted. I want you to put it there. And God kind of gives him this whole um, thing and then God uses that to provide for Jacob in a wonderful way. And so the first thing I want you to note about how God provides for Jacob and his family to go back to the promised land is he now starts giving them these sheep and these goats. And we're also noting that they have camels and he's becoming wealthy. He doesn't have servants, we're told. So, you know, God's bringing all this provision because everything before this was Laban's. And now Jacob is acquiring his own wealth for his own family, which now if he departs to the promised land, He's not going empty handed. He has what he needs um, to be able to do that. And so, you know, God is blessing him with this. God's preparing him, as we've already noted, to move to the promised land. But as God guides Jacob, he's also providing for Jacob to be able to make this move when God ultimately tells him it's time to go. Now, because of the statistical probability of this happening the way it did, Laban would have really realized this. Well, wait a second. Why is it that so many speckled and spotted sheep and goats are being born and so few solid colors. I mean, I made this deal for one reason because I thought I would make out well because of it, and now it's not happening that way. The statistics have changed. You know, I'm on the the, the short end of the stick here, and so he wouldn't have been happy with what's transpired. But we're going to see that um, there's some other people that aren't happy that are connected with Laban. Let's now go to chapter 31 and see how they respond to Jacob's flock increasing quicker. Then Laban's flock, verse 1, says this, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. So Laban's sons, who are going to be the heir of Laban's wealth, So whether or not his flocks increase is very important to them. And so they're watching and they're seeing, hey, dad's flocks aren't increasing nearly as much as Jacob's. And, you know, notice what they say as they watch this. They say, Jacob has taken away all that was our father. So basically saying Jacob is stealing from our dad, which wasn't a true statement at all. Uh, Jacob wasn't stealing. They made this agreement, just the fact that in proportion... Jacob's flocks are increasing because of God's blessing, versus Laban's flocks. Uh, but they're blaming Jacob and they're thinking that he's taking from their dad. Uh, and we're also told that Laban isn't happy. His countenance has changed, and Jacob's aware of this. He sees that you know Laban used to be happy with me, and the main reason he was happy with him is because because of Jacob he was blessed. His flocks grew. And so, hey, I'm happy with you, Jacob. But now all of a sudden things have changed. And so he's not happy with Jacob any longer. Uh, and so now we have this issue here with Jacob's situation has gone, you know, it's changed. It's now much worse. I mean, he's had a lot of issues with Laban, with, you know, his w- wives and other things. But ultimately, Laban's countenance towards him was good. He, he liked the fact that he was there for the blessing of God. But that has changed. And I believe this is another thing that God is using to prepare Jacob to leave. And you're going to see this, and we're going to talk about this in a moment of, you know, not only is there that desire that God often gives us that kind of prepares us, but we oftentimes see a change in our situation where we're super comfortable everything's fine, and all of a sudden there's a change for the worse, there's a change that kind of gets us out of that comfort, there's a change that now we start to really think about moving. We think of getting, you know, going or doing whatever, and God often uses that. He's going to definitely use that here with Jacob of, you know, if Jacob was like, everything's great and wonderful, there wouldn't be the same kind of desire to get back to the promised land, but now that times are changing uh, and situations are harder with, Laban, this would be another thing that God could use, but now God's going to be real clear. You know, The desire's there, the situation's changing, but he's going to make it real clear to Jacob it's time to go by clearly speaking to him in verse 3. It says this, Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So now God comes to Jacob. It's been a long time since Jacob and God have had any conversation that we at least have recorded here in Scripture. And so God now speaks to him and, you know, here's it. Jacob, it's time to return. Time to go back to the promised land. You've been here for a long time. We're going to see that, you know, pretty soon it's going to be 20 years uh, that Jacob, when he finally leaves, that's the amount of time that he has spent here in Haran. And God's saying, all right, now it's time to leave. And so now we have God clearly preparing Jacob by telling him, you know, I'm going to speak to you clearly. It's not going to be just a desire or a circumstance. It's just my voice telling you it's time to na- take the next step and go. Uh, and, you know, I bring this up because what we see here with Jacob is so often the the three ways in which God directs us as well. And notice what we see here with Jacob. First, God giving Jacob the desire to go. Second, by allowing Jacob's situation to change for the worse in order to increase his desire to go. And then third, by clearly telling Jacob to go back to the promised land. Now, if you think of your own life and the patterns in your life and the ways in which God has prepared you for different things you know, perhaps you've noticed this for yourself. I know that on a lot of the major ways in which God has moved me, like physically said, I want to to go here or here. This is a pattern that I've seen so much. The first time I really saw it clearly was when God called me to the mission field, and it started with a desire. And that desire was years before ever it happened, but there was that desire within me, and that desire just continued to grow. Um, but you know, there was part of me growing up in Southern California, loving being at the beach, loving the great weather, and There was part of me as a younger guy that thought, I don't know if I could ever leave. You know, I got family, I got a great church, I got friends, I got the weather, I got the beach, and you know, so first there was this desire, but then all of a sudden my circumstances started to change, and all those things that I thought, oh I couldn't leave that, I wouldn't want to you know walk away from that, those things started to not really be much of a concern anymore. Well, you know, forget California and the weather and the beach and all this stuff. All of a sudden, you know, things started changing and all and, and, and in me I was ready to walk away from that, and then God finally just clearly said, it's time to go, uh, you know, and so that was the, the final real clear, here, do it, but it was interesting how, you know, the desire and the circumstances were, you know, before that, and, you know, the same thing when I ultimately left the mission field, it was, you know, the Lord's kind of put this in my heart of, you know, prepare yourself, I'm moving you on, we're going to do something different, and then the circumstances started to change, and then the Lord made it real clear, and then the same come in here, and so, you know, If God's kind of giving you this desire, you have a desire for a certain thing in your life, a certain calling from the Lord, a certain place that maybe he's leading you to. And then you're starting to see circumstances changing. You know, Don't be surprised if the next thing that you see is the Lord clearly speaking to you through his word of here's something I have for you, here's something I want you to do. Um, But you see this throughout scripture. We obviously see this in the life of Jacob as God is preparing him for the move back to the promised land. But one of the big things that God shares here with Jacob that he needs to hear, because for him this was very important, he tells him, Jacob, I will be with you. Now, Not just you need to go, but don't miss the reality that when you do go, I'm going to be with you the whole way. You need to leave Haran and make the 500-mile journey back to the promised land, but I'm going to be with you as You do this. So the second thing that I want you to note about God's um, provision is that he is with Jacob. He's given him flocks. He's given him wealth. But more important than that is himself. I'm going to be with you in this. Yeah, you're going to have camels for your family to ride. You're going to have servants. You're going to have wealth with these flocks. But I will be with you the whole way. And for Jacob, I think this would be very important because of the situation he's in, because he's really in the midst of a rock and a hard place. Because there in Haran, he's got an individual that's a problem for him, Laban. And we're gonna see Laban doesn't want him to go, and Laban's going to try to keep him from going. But don't forget why he left the promised land to begin with. He's got another problem when he gets there, and that's the problem of Esau. He left because Esau wanted to kill him. He's going back To where Esau is, and Esau still wants to kill him. So, you know, so it's kind of like, well, I got Laban here on this side, I got Esau there on that side, and the reality that God's going to be with me is very important because I'm sure he felt the struggle of both. Like, if I go, I'm in trouble, and if I get there, I'm in trouble. And so I definitely need God in the midst of all of this. You know, as believers, we have this same promise. You know, God comes and speaks this to Jacob, but he has spoken it to us because of our relationship with Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to remember. Hebrews thirteen five says, For Jesus himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And this is something that you need to hold on to. This is one of those verses that bring great comfort, especially as the Lord is leading us into places that, you know, are unfamiliar, and when there's people who don't want us there, when it's difficult, and so much of what God calls us to, especially because of the way the world responds, it's hard. And so it's great to remember, hey, I'm not on my own here. You know, God's not calling me by myself in the sense of, He's gonna be with me. You know, He will be there in the midst of it all, even if no one else is there. I can count on him because he will never leave me or forsake me. So God's clearly called Jacob. He tells him it's time to go. But there's a group of people that need to be on board, and that would be Jacob's wives. Uh, He's now got 12, uh, 11, no, 12 kids. Yeah, he's got 11 sons, one daughter. Uh, He's got, you know, the wives. And so if if they're not on board here, this is going to be a difficult journey. And so now he wants to share with them what God has spoken to him. And let's see how they respond. Verse four, says this. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance that now it's not favorable towards me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, The speckled shall be your wages, then the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, The streaks shall be your wages, and the flocks bore streaks. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. The angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. He said, "Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks, their streak speckled and grey spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family." So Jacob comes to his wives, and he reveals mainly two things to them. He wants them to know one thing, which is you know his dad or their dad and what he's done. But he contrasts that, which is a beautiful contrast with God and what God has done in the midst of what Laban has done. So he starts with you know how bad Laban has been to him. Uh, Laban's countenance is not favorable to me, but God's been with me. Laban has changed my wages ten times, but God didn't allow him to hurt me. God has blessed me whenever Laban has changed my wage so that I never got ripped off. Then God revealed Himself to me in a dream, told me what Laban was doing, told me, you know, how to ultimately, you know, bless my flock and help it grow, uh, and then God told me to get out of this land and return to the land of my family, the promised land. So as Jacob looks back on his time in Haran, I think this is a very important preparation for him. He remembers something important. He doesn't just look back and see all the pain of, man, when I first got here and, you know, I worked seven years for Rachel and look what Laban does to me and all this. I mean, he definitely sees what Laban's done, but he sees it in light of how God has worked. And I think this is so important. Like, yes, Laban did this negative thing, but look what God did to protect me. Laban tried to rip me off, but God provided. Laban, you know, wanted to hurt me, but God wouldn't allow it. And, you know, he sees the hand of God in his life these past 20 years as he's been here in Haran. So God has protected him. God has provided for him in the past. And this is important for him to remember because God's now asking him to trust. Hey, I will protect and provide in the present and I will protect and provide in the future. I'm glad that you see it in the past, but will you trust it in the present? And will you move forward trusting that it's going to continue in the future? And we're going to see whether or not Jacob does that. But for all of us, I think this is a great thing as we look back on you know circumstances that we are facing. So often it's so easy just to look at the negative and look what happened here and this bad thing and that bad thing. And not see the hand of God in it, not see what God was doing in the midst of it. And so it's great that Jacob understands this. Um, and, you know, he communicates it to his wives who, you know, they didn't need to hear this in the sense of they would have clearly understood how bad Laban was. They, they suffered worse than Jacob did in all of this. And so let's see how they respond. Verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whenever God has said to you, do it. Rachel and Leah know firsthand what a scoundrel their dad is, how horrible he's been. Their marriage is messed up because he swapped wives on Jacob and he threw Leah into that horrible situation. And then they also say, hey... You know, the father's role, remember we talked about the dowry? The dowry was Jacob working seven years, which then turned into 14 years. And he was supposed to hold on to that just in case Jacob were to die or something were to happen. That was Leah and Rachel's inheritance and money that they would have if something happened to Jacob. And they're saying, hey, our dad's taking it all. You know, there's nothing for us. You know, that was supposed to be for us. But now he's kind of consumed. You know, what else do we have here? Um, you know, so they realize this is ours. This is our children's, you know, but our dad has taken it. But they end with something very important. They say, whatever God has said to you, do it. You know, this is probably one of the few times in their marriage that these two women agreed on something. Uh, and so, you know, we saw last chapter, the bickering and fighting and all the issues that were going on. And maybe it's just common enemy that they have an agreement with. But the end of the day is, you know what? Yeah, we're in agreement. It's time to go. Whatever God has said to you, Jacob, do it. And I think it's very important that Jacob has, you know, the support of his wives here. You know, and I would just say, especially to you men, you know, especially if you're married, if God's leading you, He first has given you this desire, and He's clearly spoken it's time to move here or do this or do that. You want your wife on board with you, and you need to speak to her and share that with her, and you know, and you know, pray that there is a you know um, a joint desire to do that. And I've seen too many guys go without that, and it brings lots of problems. So it's a blessing that Jacob gets the agreement of his wives and are willing to follow the Lord in this way. Uh, But now they're going to leave. And how they choose to leave is going to reveal to us, okay, I just said, Jacob recognized what God has done in the past, but he's going to trust him in the present. Oh, look at what God has done to protect me from Laban. Look what God has done to provide for me when Laban tried to rip me off. Well, now God has said, it's time to go. And God has said, I'll be with you. And so is Jacob going to trust that? Is he, how is he going to leave? Because how he leaves is going to demonstrate whether he really trusts God is with him and God will protect him and provide for him and get him to the promised land. So let's see how he departs. Verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he gained and acquired livestock which he had gained in Padanaram Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed over the river, and headed toward the mountain of Gilead. So Jacob and the family decide, yes, we've got to obey God, it's time to go to the promised land. But notice how they go. It starts with just the typical, you know, they prepare themselves. He puts his family on camels. They get all their stuff, and they start moving. And there there's nothing wrong with that. But there is one thing wrong that we see from Rachel. It's kind of this little side note, like, what's she doing? She goes back while her dad is out of the tent, and she goes and steals his idols. Now, we're not told why she does this. There's a lot of different speculation, but, you know, that's just what it is. It could just be because she thought, hey, you know what, the last thing we're told of her was, He took all of our inheritance, so maybe she's just like, these idols are worth money, I'm gonna take it, and I'm gonna get some money. Some people believe that she actually worshiped them as well, uh, and that's why she wanted them. Uh, you know, others believe that she felt like he could find them by praying to these idols, and that she was trying to protect her family by making it so he didn't have access to them. There's all sorts of speculations, but at the end of the day, I think it's not so much, you know, obviously it's wrong to steal, but it reveals something to us about Laban. He's an idol worshiper. I mean, you don't have idols in your house uh, unless you're an idol worshiper. And so, as we see Laban and all the issues that Laban has, you know, it helps us to realize well, here's just a pagan guy. You know, so it shouldn't be surprising that this sinful man who doesn't believe in the true God has all these problems in his life and treats people the way that he does. But what I really want you to note here is how Jacob and his family leave. We're told that Jacob stole away unknown to Laban in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee so he fled with all he had and he rose and crossed the river and headed towards ultimately the promised land so Jacob just got done telling his wives how horrible Laban is how great God is how God's the provider and the protector and look at how he's done this and now it's time to go and instead of saying anything to Laban they just kind of hope that he never knows that they leave, and they try to get out of here, and we're going to see that when Laban finally catches him, you know, Jacob's honest. I was scared. I was scared you wouldn't let me go. I was scared that you weren't going to do this, and so, you know, Jacob is ultimately not trusting that God's going to protect him. You know, God says, I'll be with you. He's reminded of what God has already done, but in the present circumstances that he's in, he's like, you know what? I'm going to protect myself, you know, and we saw this with Abraham. We saw this Clearly of like, you know, I'm gonna, you know, take matters into my own hand. Hey, we're down in Egypt. Say you're my sister and I'll be protected. Jacob's now in this situation. Am I gonna trust in God or am I gonna trust in myself? Well, I know what we can do. We're just gonna get out of here. We got three days, you know, difference between us and we won't tell him and hopefully we'll get so far away that Laban won't know in time and we'll make it back to the promised land. And, you know, he's kind of coming up with his own plan to protect himself instead of just trusting the Lord to help him. Donald Barnhouse said this about Jacob's response. Jacob could have announced his departure and gone in glory of an army with banners, but fear made it impossible to reap the full measure of blessing. He sneaked away into the will of God instead of departing in triumph. And I think this is a sad reality for us. I mean, so often God is like, here, I'm with you, step out and go. And it's like, oh, I, I can't because I'm scared of this and I'm scared of that. And those fears so often keep us from the wonderful things that God wants to bless us with if we would just trust what he tells us. So Jacob tries to sneak away, and let's see what happens. Let's see what Laban does. Verse 22. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban, he hears Jacob's gone, he hears his family's gone, he hears all the flocks and everything are gone, and he's not happy, and he pursues, and it takes him seven days. They had a three-day head start, and they're moving away. It takes him seven days to finally catch Jacob and the family, but Laban starts by gathering brethren. He's getting his men ready. We're going. They're not going to you know be nice. They're, they're going because he's upset, and you know he, he's coming to do something bad. But during Laban's pursuit, notice what... God does. So it's seven days. He's going to get there. Obviously, each night they're sleeping. And in one of these nights, as he's sleeping, God comes to Laban and he speaks to him in a dream. And he tells him, You know what? When you get to Jacob, you don't speak to him any good or any evil. Ultimately, you know, Laban had his own wicked plan, as he always did. And God's intervening and saying, No, you're not going to do that. And so once again, we see God's protection over. Jacob and his family. And I want you to note, you know, God protects him by warning Laban not to do anything bad against Jacob and his family. So Jacob was afraid of Laban, which is why he snuck away without telling Laban he was leaving. But ultimately didn't have to be. I mean, even we see here, and we saw that with Abraham as well, like, you know, when he looked back and when Abraham was like, you're my sister, and then God protects Sarah, and protects both of them and gets them out of that situation, it should have been a reminder of, oh, I could have just trusted the Lord. He, he would have protected me. Look at how he did it. And, and here, you know, hopefully Jacob learns this as well. Of Like, oh, God has protected me from Laban. I didn't need to sneak away through the night. I could have just come and told him, we're leaving. God's told me to go, and I'm going. And God's going to be with me, and God's going to protect me, and God's going to provide. He's going to take care of me. Um, but, you know, he doesn't learn this lesson yet. He's not confident in this yet. And I think so often we're in the same boat. And I think we need to remember God is our protector. There's so many passages of Scripture that reveal this. Here's just one that I love. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And this is something we need to realize because we're surrounded by the Labans of the world who really want to destroy, you know, especially what God wants to do. And we need to realize We have God as our protector. We run to Him. We're safe in Him. We need to trust in Him to take care of us. So God warns Laban, be careful that you don't speak good or bad to Jacob. And now let's see what Laban says when he finally catches up to Jacob. Verse 25. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban was with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have stolen away, unknown to me, and carried away my daughters like captives taken with a sword. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And did you not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly in doing so. Is it? It is in my power to do you harm, but... The God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So Laban finally catches up with Jacob. He asks him, you know, why did you flee? Why did you seek out, you know, sneak out at night and not tell me that you were leaving? And he first tries to shame Jacob with kindness. You know, why did you flee away secretly? I might have sent you away with joy and songs and and timbrel and harp. I mean, if you would have come, uh, I would have given you guys a party. We would have had a going away party. I mean, why didn't you come and tell me? You know, kind of shaming him of, you know, you didn't have to fear me. I would have done something great for you. But that doesn't work. And as many bullies do, he goes from that tactic to sharing, hey, it's in my power to do you harm. You know, you better fear me. You shouldn't leave me. You should have never done this because, you know, I could really hurt you. And I think that was his plan all along. He was hunting them down to do harm to Jacob, take his children and grandchildren back. And the only thing that stopped him is the same thing that he says, but the God of your father spoke to me last night in a dream. That's why I'm not doing you harm right now. And he's told me not to speak either good or bad to you. So I have the power to do you harm, but I'm not going to because of your gods. And then he finishes with a statement that it would have been news to Jacob because Jacob wasn't aware that Rachel stole the gods of Laban. And he asked, why would you steal my gods? You know, and I just want to do a little side note here. How sad of a statement is this? I mean, if you have a god that can be stolen, that's a pretty pathetic god. And I think it's just so sad that you know, who stole my God? Well, if your God can be taken from you, maybe you want to find a new one because that's a pretty pathetic God to have. But I'm so grateful that we serve the all powerful God. No one can steal him. No one can battle him and win. Uh, and so it's, that's the good God to serve. But, you know, Jacob now is going to answer Laban's questions. And, you know, the first questions I'm sure made sense. That final question was like, what are you talking about? No one took your, your gods, your idols. Verse 31. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take my daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tent, but he did not find them. And when he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent, Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. So Jacob now responds very honestly. You want to know why I snuck out at night? I was afraid of you, Laban. I thought you would come and by force take your daughters and take my kids away from me, which is what he would have done. Uh, And so, you know, that's what Jacob was was fearful of, and he kind of throws that out there. But then when it comes to the idols, he's like, no one here took your idols. And he's not aware of the fact that Rachel took the idols, and he's so confident that no one did, he says something pretty bold. If you find that idol in anybody here, kill him. No one took it. You can kill whoever you want. Now search, and in front of all of us, if you find anything of yours, you know, show it. Let it be a witness. Let's see if we have taken anything of yours, because Jacob's confident we didn't take anything of yours. And he's quite upset of the accusation from Laban, but it's actually not true, because Rachel stole it. So Laban starts searching. He searches all the tents. And we're told that Rachel hides the idols in the camel that she's seated on in the, you know, what's there on the camel, the saddle. And as Laban comes to her, oh, sorry, my lord, dad, I can't get down because I have the issue of a woman. I am on my period and I'm unclean and I I can't get down. And so even thousands of years ago, women were using the excuse of a period for deceptive behavior. But (laughs) she does this and she gets away with it. Um, so Laban accuses Jacob and his family of stealing from him, but he doesn't find any of his stuff with Jacob. Uh, and so now Jacob is upset and he's ready to give, uh, Laban a piece of his mind. Notice what he says in verse 36. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban and Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? "...although you have searched all my things, which part of my household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, I have not eaten the rams of your flock, that which was torn by beast, I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night." There I was. In the day, the drought consumed me, and the frost at night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands, and rebuked you last night. Jacob has had enough. I'm sure that this has been building up for years of just wanting to give Laban a piece of his mind. And he's so upset because he's like, you're accusing me of taking from you? I mean, look at all that you have taken from me. Look what we did back just with, you know, my wives and you swaps. I served 14 years for that. And then, you know, I started serving for the flocks. You changed my wages 10 times. I mean, he's bringing up all this reality of if you're accusing me of taking from you, look, there's been nothing found in all of our stuff that's yours. We didn't take anything from you, but you surely have taken from me. You've abused me. You've taken advantage of me for all these years. And if it wasn't for my God... You would have taken all the stuff from me tonight. You would have taken everything away. That's the kind of man you are, and you have the audacity to accuse me of taking from you. And so he's finally just letting it all out and rebuking Laban and saying at the end, and God surely visited you to rebuke you for what you've done to me, and God has blessed me, and he's ultimately enabling me to go back with all these possessions because of that. Well, now let's see how Laban responds to Getting rebuked by Jacob, verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Once again, we see Laban's kind of twisted perspective on things. Notice he says basically, everything you have is mine. Your wives, they're mine. Your kids, they're mine. Your flocks, they're mine. But it's not true. The wives are Jacob's. He worked for 14 years for them. He, you know, that's his now. The flocks are his. They made that agreement. They're all his. So, you know, Laban once again has this kind of, you know, warped perspective on things. Everything's mine. Well, no, actually, none of it's yours. But then he kind of, you know, is basically saying, but, you know, out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to give it all to you. Uh, well, you're not giving anything to me because it's already mine to begin with. But that's kind of how he approaches it. And then he says, well, let's make a covenant between one another. And then Jacob's willing to do this. So let's see the covenant that they do in verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on that heap. Laban called it jagrar Sadadutha, but Jacob called it Galiah. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day, therefore it shall, uh, its name is called uh, Galeed." also Mispah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is the heap and here is the pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. Then they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban rose and kissed his son and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So Laban says, "Hey, let's make a a covenant with one another." And Jacob says, "Okay, great." And so they build this huge pile of stones, and ultimately it's a heap. And you know they go on top of it and they eat a meal together and they decide, you know, what we're going to make a covenant. And they called this place. Um, Laban calls it one thing in Aramaic Jacob calls it another thing in Hebrew but both the words mean the same thing um, and that is a place of witness and so this is a, a witness between us two but Laban also calls the place Mizpah which means to watch and he goes on to say may the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent for one another So as you're there in the promised land, if you cheat on my daughters or you marry someone else or you do something, God's gonna see. And so he's gonna, you know, deal with you. Uh, but, you know, so this word mispa was more, you know, if you do wrong, God's gonna see it and punish you. Uh, and so they build the altar and notice ultimately what they say. Here it is. Boom. Jacob says, I'm gonna be from here all the way to the promised land. I will never come past this pillar to come do you harm in Haran and you will never come past this pillar to do me harm in the promised land. That's the main kind of covenant that they're making. We're just going to live our separate lives in different places, and neither of us are going to pass this pillar to go do harm to the other one, and ultimately let God judge between us. So this covenant is another way that God protects Jacob And his family. Not only is Laban not going to do anything presently because of the dream that God gave and, you know, the protection, but now, you know, they're establishing this with God as the judge saying, you know what, in the future, I'm never going to come to the promised land to try to get my daughters back, to try to steal the kids, to try to do any of that, to try to do you harm. That's not going to happen, which would have been an encouragement to Jacob because I'm sure that was another fear that he had as well. Maybe Laban's going to change his mind in a couple of months or in a year. And so, you know, this is another way that God protects Jacob and his family uh, is through the covenant they made with Laban. And so Laban agrees to the terms. Then he goes and he spends some time. He kisses his daughters, his grandkids. He blesses them, and he departs back to his home. And so in these verses, we see three important things that God does for Jacob, that God does for his family. First, God's preparing them, preparing them to move. You know, Jacob, you really left the promised land ultimately because of your sin, because of your deception. I had a lot to teach you in Haran. I brought you here, but your time is done. And now it's time to get back to where I want you to be, back to the promised land, back with your family. And so God provides, uh, prepares Through that, we see that desire, we see the circumstances, and we see the most important thing of all, just the clear voice of direction from God. Second, God provides for Jacob and his family to be able to make the journey by blessing them with the provision of all the livestock and the servants and the camels. But more importantly, that God would be with them. And third, God protects Jacob and his family as they journey to the promised land by warning their enemy not to do anything and through this accountable covenant that god is the judge over them you know what we see god doing for jacob and his family i hope brings us encouragement because this is how god works in our lives so often you know as he prepares us for things and he wants us to do things you know there's that preparation there's that provision uh, and there's that protection that comes with it and i think that's so important to remember because we're ultimately in the place of am i gonna obey Am I going to trust? Am I going to take the step of faith? Am I going to do what God's called me to do? And so often it's because we don't believe in one of these things that God is going to prepare or provide or protect that keeps us from being obedient. And I hope as we look at what we see here with Jacob, it's just another reminder of God moving in someone who didn't deserve it. I mean, it's not like, well, God prepares and he protects and he provides for those really godly people, but not for the ungodly. Well, look at Jacob. You know, he didn't deserve this. You know, God called him and God says, regardless of your sinful deception and all your issues and the issues of your wives and the issues that are happening, I'm still going to protect you and provide for you and prepare you for this journey and for where I want you to be. And that's what God does for us as well. Uh, We're just now called to say, I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust and I'm going to do what you said for me to do and believe that you're going to take care of the rest. And so hopefully, as we look at Jacob, we're encouraged to respond the way that we should, which he doesn't always do. So, any thoughts? Obviously, there's like 77 verses, a lot of stuff we went through, but thoughts on what we looked at tonight?